From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we are switching things up a little bit for a night of ballin' and rockin'. We start talking Browns and Buckeyes football after a big weekend for both teams. We follow that talking Cavs and the upcoming NBA season. We close the show rockin' with a highly anticipated, at least for us, release of the Rolling Stones' new album, Hackney Diamonds. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever, my co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, what are you looking forward to more tonight? Talking balls or talking stones? Man, where's uh, where's Big Nads Naylor when we need him? <laughs> uh, I think I'm looking... Hopefully he's working out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm... I'm going to lean a little bit more towards I'm looking forward to talking stones. Same. Yeah. Just a, just a little bit more. Cause there's a lot to talk about, but I mm-hmm. think I'm, I'm with Phil here. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to the stones. All right. You know, I think I am too, which is really crazy considering it actually is a pretty good week for balling in the state of Ohio. Why don't we start there with skid marks, our weekly look at the Brown and orange road to the super bowl. Wow. Was that game stupid, <laughs> but it's still a white satin jacket winning Sunday. Browns win a crazy one in the Hoosier State, 39-38 over the Colts. There was great defense, bad defense, some offense, some bad offense, and some game-saving moments from the officials. Browns escape and are now 4-2, and still tied for second in the AFC North. Give me your 60, your 60-second take on today's win for the Cleveland Browns. All right. I think I might come in under 60 here. Uh, the refs have owed us for 30 years, and we're collecting those debts <laughs> this week, at least some of them, uh, defensively embarrassed uh, today, especially the secondary. For the first time this season, atrocious tackling. Uh, they were flat, which is weird to say because they had four turnovers, but Miles Garrett had a career day. Special teams was huge today. Hopkins has huge balls of steel to make kick after kick from farther and farther away. And at the end of the day, uh, there are no bad wins, just wins. And it's pretty impressive that this team is 4-2 while getting almost nothing from their franchise quarterback. Yeah, that was only like 45 seconds, Chuck. That was very efficient. You're welcome. I'll I'll take those 15 seconds. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, oh, damn it. I don't know. I don't know what I saw today. I'm going to echo some of Chuck's points here in my in my 60. I, I think our defense was not the dominant defense we've seen in the past few weeks. It was an all-or-nothing kind of defense today where – they had splash plays up and down that game. You know, Miles Garrett alone, of course, but we had forced four turnovers, as Chuck, as Chuck mentioned. Uh, two of those turned into two touchdowns, so that was huge. And then we gave up huge chunk plays again. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then somehow we scored 39 points, and I, I swear our offense gained 75 yards of total offense. I don't know how we scored 39 points. I'm going to find I, – I did. I found a silver lining here. The last two minutes of both halves were perfect. And I'm going to give Kevin Stefanski his due here because the way he managed the last two minutes of the first half, the Browns scored 10 points in in less than two minutes to end the first half, knowing they weren't going to get the ball to start the second half. I I still don't know how they did that. They used all their timeouts and and stifling defense on one possession. So the last two minutes of the first half, and then, of course, the last two minutes of the second half, we went ahead and won the football game. So that was my silver lining. Let's, uh, Let's learn something from that. It was a wild game. I was elated. I was despondent. I was nervous. Even when they were up with only 15 seconds left, I still was worried about what might go wrong. Uh, But mostly I think I I end that game becoming concerned that maybe the Browns aren't that good. And maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. The defense looks soft for more than half of the game. But when it wasn't looking soft, it was absolutely dominant. And the fact of the matter is that if you have Miles Garrett, he will cover up a lot of sins, man. He, he's just unreal. Like a, a player like that that can completely change the game all by himself is really rare in the NFL. On offense, you know, we know what the quarterback issues are, but the offensive line that's supposed to be so good got pushed around a lot today. Now they put it together enough to win, but we leave that game with, I think a running back room getting pretty thin with injuries uh, and still no good answer. And we're going to get to it about what to do about the quarterback. I don't even know if I need to find a silver lining. Listen, a win is a win. And maybe that's all we can say every week. And we have no idea what this week means to next week or what last week meant to this week. And we've just got to 
celebrate a win when it comes and not necessarily worry about how it happens because the 49ers game was ugly. This one was just nuts. This was a crazy game from beginning to end. And I guess we should just be thrilled that they got out of there with the win. Big story, obviously, is the ongoing Deshaun Watson mess. It continues. It was a weird day for him today. The post-game press conferences were interesting between him and Stefanski and what they were saying. What should be the Browns' plan for Deshaun Watson going forward? Well, if he can throw a football, he should be playing and starting at quarterback going forward. That's what their plan should be. I mean, they're paying him to do that, right? We'll see what this week turns into. You know, I know they they checked him for concussion, and that's what it looked like that that play would have amounted to. Yeah. But clearly it was something that aggravated his, his shoulder. And you alluded to this, Gers, before we started the show. It, it looked like he wanted to get back into the game. There were moments where he's like, he was pissed off that he wasn't playing. Like, let me play, let me play. But if your shoulder's bothering you, and maybe we were lucky to get him out there for this game, all right, we're going to sit you down and, and somehow win anyway. But their plan going forward is he's your starting quarterback. There's no who, what what quarterback are they going to get that's going to come in here and start and do better than what we just saw to PJ Walker for the last two weeks. I don't know who that is. I mean, maybe it's Jacoby Brissett. Okay, <laughs> we got to trade for all these guys, I, right? Though, right? It's like, not, yeah, though. it's not yeah. though. Yeah. I, yeah, my biggest concern. What Phil's saying is correct. Like, what's it like moving forward? He's your starting quarterback. You're paying him an awful lot of money. But what I saw in those, however limited plays, like either he's not healthy, he's washed, or something is really wrong with him mentally. Uh, two of the four throws I saw him, he left his feet to throw that, which tells me there's just not a lot of arm strength there, right? Like he's trying to get some extra on it. And he, like when that first check down pass, was bounced to the guys like, oh, this, this is not going to be good. And I thought it was a concussion, too, because the way his head hit and then his hands kind of got a little weird and they stayed there. I thought he was out. Yeah, but but ultimately, I would just like, and I think most fans would like some sort of transparency here. And the same bullshit that happened for three weeks happens again after this game where the head coach is saying something different than your your superstar franchise quarterback. And all that does is continue to fuel this fan base, like something's really wrong here. Something's not right. They hate each other, like that kind of stuff. And that's the distraction that a team like this does not need when you're four and two and somehow winning games that you shouldn't be winning over the last two weeks. So ultimately moving forward, if he's not healthy and he needs to go on the IR for four weeks or whatever the hell it is, then just like do that. So there can be some formulated game plan moving forward for whoever's taking snaps. I think that's exactly where I'm at. Yeah. Don't put him out there if he's not ready. He didn't look ready today. He he didn't look like he had any ability to put some zip on the ball. And I don't know, man, like he had two days of throwing in practice after being off for almost a month. Why, why was there an expectation that he was ready other than the player's always going to say that he's ready? I, I just want him to sit until he's healthy. And if he needs to go on the IR, I don't know how many weeks that has to go for, whatever it is, do it. Get him healthy and at least get PJ his his time with the starters during the week and get him some confidence. And heck, he's 2-0. and We're finding ways to do it. Just keep doing that. But don't put Watson out there for the first quarter every week and say, well, let's see how he looks and let's see if his arm is healthy this week. Let's see what happens. Like, no, you got you to gotta make a choice. Like Stefanski is saying, and it might be kind of bullshit, but it might be real too, you protect your franchise. Uh, that guy is too important to this team to not protect him from further injury, you know, if he's still hurt. He said he said that, but to Chuck's point, he then said that he's starting next week in Seattle. Like, all right, Stefanski, yeah. like, which yeah. one is it? It's, how, it's, how could you possibly know yeah, that how today? You know? Yeah, yeah, right. How could right. you know? Organizationally, too, what scares me is that either they don't know the ex- the extremity of his injury for for almost a month or they think they did and they chose not to activate dtr today like if there was any doubt that he might not be good to go or something might be off you're basically carrying two guys you know what turned out to be against a a pretty aggressive defense so it's like those little structural organizational things it's like what the what what's happening here I want to thank you for leading me right into my next question, Chuck. Let's talk Browns fan psychology. Let's talk about trust, the foundation of any relationship. 
If you needed to convince a Browns fan to trust this year's team and the organization, what would you tell them after today's game? <laughs> that's that's hard. Hopefully it's use use more of your eyes instead of innuendo and rumor or what you think is happening that the limitations of this offense and they're still finding a way to win. You're seeing the defense became suspect and they're still finding ways to win. So mentally it's, you should be happy instead of questioning it. Like we all are right now. Like, Hey, they, they stole another win this week. Absolutely. You know, like you should just be happy. Like, Hey, we got a week, you know, let's get Seattle next. Let's get healthy, whatever. Uh, but I think most fans are, are like this, like, you, you're on social media and it's almost, it almost feels like when they signed Deshaun Watson again, like the hate, like not for a much yeah. different reason, but it's a much different reason than it is before that he stinks or he's no good or he, he doesn't want to play. He got his money. Like that's the kind of mental state I see a lot of Browns fans in right now. Instead of just being like, man, how are we two and oh the last two weeks? There's no way we should have won <laughs> yeah. these games. <laughs> Trust the organization, right? I'm going to, I'm going to steal. I'm going to jump ahead a few segments. I, I think, tell me straight, man. Just like the Stones say, in their head, <laughs> tell me straight. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't, the message is the problem. And you're dealing with a fragile fan base who has every right to be that fragile, right? I mean, every right. Since 1999, why would we trust that this team can win games the way they just won these last two games? But here we are. And finally, maybe this is what other fan bases feel in a normal NFL season. And we just haven't felt it in, in 24 yeah. years because it never, never went this way where the ref's flag went our way and it gave us a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance and we win a game. So I think from a fan psyche standpoint, uh, trust that you're not going to learn a damn thing at the podium from the media and from questioning of the of the players or the coaching staff. But trust that on any given Sunday, this team might win a football game despite this just craziness that is happening. I guess what I would say is like the, the Browns aren't perfect, but they're not a bad guy. They may say it like, hey, I'll want to come over and we're going to like watch a movie or something. They may end up staying out like a little bit late with their buddies, but they're going to show up at the right place eventually. They may tell you that they're going to call you or something like that. And they may not call that day. Maybe they'll call the next day. Eventually they're going to get to the right place, but like the process of getting there is going to be a challenge, but you can at least put some trust in them that, you know, their hearts in the right place and they're going to do the right thing eventually. Um, but it's going to make for a bumpy ride between phone calls and, and visits and stuff like that. So I, that's the best I can give you for trusting in this organization. Uh, who is your MVGH for this game, your most valuable Garrett or Hopkins. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's one of those two guys for sure, right? There's an obvious choice here, but I'm going to go two weeks in a row and give it to the kicker. Hopkins was four for four, and every, as Chuck said earlier, every field got, goal got further and further away. He made three field goals over 50 yards today, 54, 54, and 58. I don't think that's happened ever yeah. <laughs> for the Cleveland Browns, the Browns right? yeah. uh, man I, that is amazing and all three of his extra points so I'm going to give it to the kicker because once again two weeks in a row without that man's leg we don't win this game I guess I just I, I have to go with Miles Garrett because I don't yeah, know if I've ever seen yeah. a more dominating defensive performance uh with two strip sacks and the blocked field goal is something that you haven't seen I think since like Troy Polamalu did it however long ago where he jumped the line and did it yeah. so uh like there's there's always a debate like who's the best defensive player on the planet. I, I I think he is at times, but who's the most physically gifted athlete defensively in the NFL? It, it's got to be him. He he's almost responsible for 17 points of this game. So yeah. I, I mean, 12 to, to Hopkins. I'm not taking anything away because the guy is is rock solid. But I, I haven't seen a defensive performance like this in I don't know how long. So I would give it to Garrett. I'm gonna give it to both of them because they were both awesome. Uh, we'll come out even, Steven, tonight <laughs> on go. that one. All right, Browns bets. What did you put your money on for the Browns this week? Oh, boy. This was a big one for my Gerbucks and getting back into the race this week. So I, I chose a boosted parlay, as I tend to do, and I always overdo it. But this time, I needed Garrett to record one or more sacks, and I needed Ford to score one or more touchdowns. Those two things hit within the first three minutes of the of the game. So I was looking pretty good. The third one, oh boy, the third layer, all I needed was a Browns win, baby. And they did it. They did it. That was plus right. 350. Hey. So my 10,000 Gerbucks got me another 35,000 Gerbucks today. Huh? Yeah. So are you at Damn. 75 now? Uh, I was at 
50. I think I was, I was, I was over five. So I was down to 50. So okay. I'm up to so 85, right? 85. All right. Not bad. Yeah. I thought I'm going to make an outlandish bet because I want to get back in the Gerbuck game. But then really it's just like, that's when you chase like that, it's not going to oh, work. It's a you. bad idea. Right. Yeah. So, so basically I looked at some of the, the player props and I really like Jerome Ford over 53 and a half rushing yards. He got that on the third play of the game. But then I was worried before he got hurt. Like every play was negative rushing. I'm like, he's not. Like it's, it's not uh, so I uh, I ended up hitting it. Uh, Ten thousand gerbucks turned into eighteen thousand six hundred and ninety. So it's nice to have a win. I did not get a win. I had the Browns minus three and JOK with more than three and a half tackles. It was plus two ten. Felt really good about it uh, all the way until the very end, and then didn't. So. Uh, I'm out 10,000 Gerbucks. I think that drops me down to like 63,000. Uh, so I think Phil probably, well, I don't know, Chuck, you're doing pretty well too, but Phil's Chuck's probably in, in the yeah. lead. Phil, yeah, Phil, yeah. yeah, I got a monster there. So yeah, yeah. All right, well done, Phil. We will continue that next week. Speaking of which, Browns head to the Pacific Northwest for a matchup with the not-too-shabby Seahawks. Preseason, we all picked the Browns to lose this one. Anyone interested in changing their pick? No, no. <laughs> No, I can't happen three weeks in a row. No. Yeah, I don't think we've seen anything that makes us think the Browns are making that trip out west and coming back with a win. So, uh, Browns, go out there and surprise us. Figure out who your quarterback is. Please, for the love of God, we need it. I can't handle another game like today's. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to hit some college. Let's go nuts. It's time for the Buckeyes. Ohio State Buckeyes. Got a 20-12 to win over 7th-ranked Penn State in Columbus. Buckeyes now 7-0 and with Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Minnesota on the schedule before the big game against Michigan. What word would best describe this Ohio State win? Underwhelming? Lackluster? Uninspired? If McCord could throw it, they would have won by 30. I mean, I'll say decent. You know, like Penn, All right. like Penn State's they're always a good team until they play Ohio state or Michigan and coach Franklin always makes some sort of coaching mistake at some point in the game. But you know, ultimately like that defense is really great for Ohio state. It's a really good defense. And they had some injuries on offense. The only thing I wish it would have, please stop making the, like the Maserati Marvin oh, Harris. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> please stop. Like it yeah. didn't exist last week. And all of a sudden this week it was shoved down our throats, but I think decent, like they, they look again, if that game's in Happy Valley, like, I'm, I don't know if they win it, but ultimately they look decent enough to beat a good team. Well, your your adjectives were all fairly negative, so I, I need to come up with something uh, something better than that, I think. Um, I'll say that this was a national championship caliber defense we saw, for sure. Uh, that is defensive effort that I've not seen the Ohio State Buckeyes put out on a game, and I can't remember when, maybe the back, way back to the Trestle years, I would say, right? I think Penn State converted one third down the entire game, one one third down yeah it's nuts and, and at some point deep into the second half they had amassed like seven yards of total offense in the second half so that defense if they can turn in games like that just somehow some way get the ball to marvin harrison jr and score enough touchdowns uh and the buckeyes could just keep winning so i'm gonna say i'm gonna describe this game as defensive i guess i'll go with fine and listen they're <laughs> playing a, a good team it's a top 10 ranked team and they got a win it could have been so much more, but McCord was really just so inaccurate, especially in the first half. And he really didn't get that much better in the second half either. But he, he hits a few of those passes that he missed in the first half. And, and the Buckeyes could have had three touchdowns uh, before halftime. And it just he just couldn't get it done. But great effort by the defense. And, hey, maybe it's the theme of the night. Uh, a win is a win. Yeah. And you just keep marching forward to to that big matchup against Michigan. So hopefully there's no letdown any of these games they have against beatable opponents coming up. Speaking of Michigan, the school is now being investigated for a sign-stealing cheating scandal. Scale of one to five. One being liver and onions, five being ice cream. How good is this? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it's a five. As a Buckeyes fan, it's a five. It's hilarious. Like, it's a distraction. I You know, it's one of those things when I saw it hit the news, I'm like, all right. Is it just because they got caught? Like how many programs do this shit? Who knows? But they got caught and it seems to be a pretty legitimate and and in pretty 
pretty nasty infraction if they can prove it because of yeah. because of the nature of the allegations, I guess, like the, the way they're stealing signs and how they're sending people to do it. So it's a huge distraction uh, for uh khaki pants guy. And uh, we'll see how it goes the rest of the season. Cause they're a really good football team steal. It's, it's like the Astros, right? Like you don't need to do yeah. this. What are you doing? You don't need to do this, yeah. but they did it. So now live with it. I suppose. Leave it to Phil to throw the Astros in, even though <laughs> right. baseball's not on the menu for tonight. Oh, <laughs> it's a, it's a five. It's like a rainbow Sherbert on like a 94 degree day. Like <laughs> it's refreshing. It feels good. I'm very happy about it. It's a five. Yeah, this is fantastic. Couldn't have been any better news coming out of Michigan this weekend. <laughs> so hopefully the NCA does its normal bang up job of investigating things and uh, figures this one out. But fellas, on that note, we are going to close out this first segment. We're going to take our first break. We're going to come back and we'll do some hooping. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We are going to go hooping. And we are going to start with Sip of Wine and Gold Day Drinkers, our second and final preview of the Cavs' upcoming <laughs> season. Cavs finished the preseason one and three. No one cares. Regular season starts Wednesday night in Brooklyn against the Nets. What are you most excited to see from the Cavs this season? Most excited to see? I'm excited to see an offense that's that's – spreading the floor a little bit more and clicking uh, every game. And I'm thinking let's get 25 to 30 points out of one of our two guards and then 20 points out of the other guard and then 40 points out of our front court. Like it just, you know, we talked about this in past seasons where this team is at its best when you've got five to seven guys in double figures. So that's what I want to see right from the rip this year. Let's see these guys go out there and fill it up um, seven deep on that roster. It's it's about the same as Phil saying, a more dynamic offense. I think they brought in two guys who will help spread that floor and will get a lot of looks from three, which really they didn't have that kind of option last year. If Garland's driving or Mitchell's driving, there's, there's nobody out there who's going to shoot three. So more floor spacing, which makes it life a little bit easier for our guards, uh, guys knocking down threes in, in a little more aggressive that like we talked about last week, a little more aggressive Evan Mobley offensively. All the news coming out of camp and the preseason games and stuff like that is that they they want to add pace. They want to get moving. They want to be faster when they get rebounds or even after made shots by the other team. They want to get up and down the, the court faster. And it seems like they have all the tools to do that. I mean, they've got Mitchell and Garland and Mobley, who all three of them can run the floor really well. And you got guys like Struess now and Niang doesn't look like an athlete, but apparently he is. I don't know. Um, but those are guys that can spot up when you're when you're running the court. Those guys can spot up for three. So I think that more pace to the offense than what we have seen. Not so much of like the half court stuff. It worked well for them because they were a defense first team and they weren't looking to put up a bunch of points. But I think they have the tools to put up a lot of points this year. It would certainly make for a more exciting brand of basketball to watch. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. What Eastern Conference team do you think you'll hate the most this season? Celtics, Bucks, Knicks, Hawks, maybe the Heat. What do you think? I think it's going to be the Celtics for me, just because like the Bucks made a gigantic move. They got better, and the Celtics are a really great team. And like not even twenty four hours later, they got better, and I don't like that because. <laughs> I think those are the two teams that are better and, and arguably maybe the Sixers. I think those are the two teams in the Eastern Conference that are better than the Cavs. And I'm not saying the Cavs didn't get better. They did, but maybe it's just the big name splash. Like they didn't do it. They they signed two free agents who are really going to help this team. But but ultimately, I think it's going to be the Celtics just because they're really good. They're really deep and they got better. I think the team I'm going to hate the most is going to be the Atlanta Hawks, not because they're good, not because they're better than the Cavs. <laughs> it's because they're going to beat the Cavs on occasion and it's going to piss me off because we shouldn't lose to that team. But, you know, Trey Young's going to go out there and drop like 45 yeah. on us one night or some shit. Yeah. And he's like, oh, God, this team I is like terrible. We're losing. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, I like it because it's like it's becoming a, a pretty good rivalry. Like yeah. it's not going to be the Knicks after last year. Like it seems like the Hawks are going to be their their natural so, rival. I yeah, exactly. I, I feel like that's the team I'm going to hate because it's a team we should be beating, but there is some sort of rivalry developing there. So they're going to be closer games than they should be. Whereas I don't think I'm going to hate the, the, the bucks and the Celtics. Cause they're, 
they've put together some good teams. Like I'm going to hate losing to them when we lose, if we do. Um, but the Hawks are going to piss me off. I just feel it all year. I think I expected the Hawks to be the rival last year because they had beaten them in the play, uh, play in the year before that they got better. You know, like they traded for that Murray guy in their backcourt and stuff like that. But then they had a really disappointing year last year. So I don't know. Maybe the Hawks – it would be interesting to see if they put it together this year better than they did last year. I'm with Chuck. I'm on the Celtics. Um, I think they are a really tough team. I think that they are going to be like a matchup nightmare for the Cavs because they've got – if Porzingis stays healthy, they've got a big guy that can do all the things we want Mobley to do. Uh, and now they've got – scoring and they've got defense and oh boy i don't know plus i just don't really like them just don't like them like mad all the way back from when it was like the mark price years and they they ended larry bird's career with the playoff loss in cleveland uh, i i think the celtics are gonna be the one i dislike the most back to the Cavs roster jared allen isaac okoro karis lavert are all three still on the Cavs after the All-Star break? Yeah. Jared Allen's your starting center. Uh, Okoro is probably the first guy off the bench, if not a starting small forward. And I think Levert would be the trade piece, but I don't – this might if, – if all goes well this season, this might be one of those seasons where standing pat, as we've mentioned in the past, is what the Cavs need to do. Because Levert – I mean, that dude showed up uh, when no one else did at the end of last season. So you need that guy coming off your bench. So I'm, I'm going to say all three of them are still on the team. Yeah, I think all three are on. Allen, like Phil said, is your starting center. Levert has elevated his game to be whatever the Cavs need him to be, especially down that stretch run last year. I don't think they move that guy. And Okoro, I think this is the year they either – Find out what they truly have and make a decision if they extend him or not. I still think he plays through the rest of the year because I, there's some pressure off him, but I think him being on that second unit, hopefully his offensive game develops a little bit more. Is he still like 19? Is he, is he 20? <laughs> like he's, year, he's still year he's so back. young, but like you have to find out what that dude is. And this is the year that, that you really see it. So hopefully I think they all stay on the team. It breaks my heart to say this, but I wonder if it might be Jared Allen because you get to all this floor spacing and are the Cavs actually better with Mobley at center being a guy that can operate with all that space and stretch a defense out in ways that Jared Allen just never can. His offense will never get to that point for the point of pace and spacing. Do you move on from Jared Allen and, and let Mobley be that anchor in the middle? We'll see. It breaks my heart to say it, but that would be about the only only one I think I see leaving. I still think Karras is probably our sixth man until Amani Bates takes over. And then Isaac Okoro <laughs> is still just so young and still so much potential and talent there. All right, scale of one to five, one being Terry Francona in 2016, five being Kevin Stefanski. Every time the Browns have a first down inside the five, how solid is J.B. Bickerstaff's job security? <laughs> it's certainly not Francona-esque, um, but – I'm, I'm going to put it at a three and a half. The guy's leading a well-rounded Cavs team to a lot of wins, but they got to they gotta win in the postseason. So I don't know. I don't think he's losing his job this season, during the season. But if they have a quick exit again at the, in the postseason, they're probably looking for the guy that get them to the next level. It's a, I think it's a, a two. I, th I think he's pretty solid. I think you'll see a, a different team offensively. Like you're saying, that's that's what they put out there verbiage-wise, that they want the pace to pick up and they want to run in transition. And we've always seen him as this coach who wants to slow down the game. and yeah. plod the, But I think that's what he had to do. And now that he has the horses to do it in the second season and bring in some other guys who are going to space out the floor, I, I think he's a really good coach. Like, who, who do you bring in if they dump that guy, whether it's mid-season or at the end of the season, if they have a quick exit? I don't know. I think it's like a two, two and a half. I think he's safe. I'm at about a three and maybe three and a half with Danko in that if, if the team's not performing, he's in trouble. He has had his time. He has all the pieces like th this team should be really, really good. This should be a 50 plus win team. This should be a team playing for the top of the conference against some other really good teams. And if he can't get it done or he's not getting the, Mitchell Garland backcourt to work, or he's not getting the most out of Mobley and the development we all expect to see. Oh, I don't know if it's fair or not, but I think he might be, he might be in some trouble. 
Speaking of trouble, which futures bet do you like best for the Cavs? Over under win total. On DraftKings, you can get the Cavs under 49.5 for plus 120. Over 49.5 would be minus 150. Uh, you can get plus 1,000 for the Cavs to win the conference, minus 1,200 to make the playoffs. If you're looking for good numbers, you can get plus 750 for the Cavs to miss the playoffs. <laughs> wow. Um, or plus 600 for Mobley for Defensive Player of the Year. Which one of those futures do you like the best? Either the first or the last. I know Mobley wants to be a Defensive Player of the Year, but I want him to be a better Offensive Player. So I think I'll go with, with the first one. Well, it was a minus. Over 49 and a half wins yeah. would be minus 150. I like that. I, I think they're a 50-win team, and you can still get a decent return, even though it's minus, so I'll, I'll take that bet. I think that's the safest bet. Uh, this is a this is a 57-win team this year. Ooh, Mark it down. Cow. Mark it down. 57 <laughs> wins. I, I said the same thing last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you put enough money down on that, you get a decent return there. That's the safest bet. If, if I was going to stretch a little bit, I guess I would lean on the Mobley defensive player of the year because all the other bets are, it's just too risky. But I think I'll be, I'm with Chuck there. Uh, over 49 and a half wins, I'll put some money down on that. Yeah, I think I would do Mobley. I think 49 and a half is a, <laughs> oh, nice. is a really <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <clears throat> good for Mobley. <laughs> I'm going to make my bet on Evan Mobley at plus 600 for defensive player of the year. I think they are right around that kind of 50, 51, 52 win team. But, man, a couple guys get hurt, and they could still have a really successful season and only win 49 games. So I actually think that DraftKings has put that win total at, like, the perfect spot for the Cavs. So um, I'm putting my money on Evan Mobley to uh, be Defensive Player of the Year. All right. The 2024 NBA Finals start on June 6th, 2024. What is the story of the Cavs season going to be on June 5th? So the story on the 5th, will be win your home games and we could be hoisting a trophy in Cleveland again. How about that? <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't think it's that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the satin jacket's getting to me, man. <laughs> they, they they had a, a good playoff run better than this past season. What is the piece they're missing to get them over the hump to compete with Boston or the Bucks in the finals the season after? I think it's you've gotten out of the first round. You've played somebody tough in the second maybe you've reached the conference finals and and lost to the bucks or the celtics uh, but it's a much improved team and then i think the big question is is what's going to happen with donovan mitchell are you going to be able to keep him or is that guy going to go that that's going to be the question once the playoff run if it's a successful one ends next season everything looking really good for the Cavs. this should be a really fun really exciting really good basketball team to watch all season i'm looking forward to it Let's look around the rest of the NBA before the start of the season. Biggest change of all is this year will be the first ever midseason tournament. And I'm going to turn over the show to Chuck, <laughs> our midseason tournament correspondent. Chuck, uh, right, tell us yeah. what the hell's going on. It actually surprised me to find out this idea has been tossed around for 15 years. So oh, in, wow. let's go back to 2008. Just real quickly, let me set the <laughs> stage here. Uh, biggest selling album that year, Lady Gaga's The Fame. I'm sure you both have copies of that. Highest grossing movie was The Dark Knight. American Idol was TV's number one show. So in 15 years, the best thing they came up with was the NBA Cup. Terrible name. Uh, it kicks off November 3rd with group play. Groups were decided by a random draw. So the Cavs group includes the Sixers, Hawks, Pacers, and Detroit, which is basically a week and a half of games on their normal schedule. Like, there's nothing here that stands out to me that makes me go, oh, that's fun. Uh, eight teams will advance to the knockout round. Yes, those include wildcard teams. It's too confusing for me to say who is going to be wildcard teams or how they become <laughs> wildcard teams. And the championship game takes place uh, December 9th in Las Vegas. Overall, uh, this thing's pretty confusing. And, and what they're trying to do here is mimic kind of like the actual World Cup, but it really exists for this reason. That is a real downtime for the NBA. The beginning of the season has started, so some interest is waning right there, and the league's trying to get eyes on them at that point where not so many people are checking it out. We need to make this thing better, and, and we can. So the midseason tourney just 
doesn't roll off the tongue. And you two are both marketing guys. I know as a, a lawyer and a doctor, you're both marketing guys. Uh, so I want to hear at least one suggestion of a catchy name for this other than the mid-season tourney. Oh, all right. If you need some help, like halfway could be in there. Semi. <laughs> Semi would be great. <laughs> How about the December finals? That's not bad. Okay. Uh, it, it's a misnomer right out, out, of, out of the gate. First of all, the mid-season tourney starts eight days after the season starts. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> eight days after the season starts. And it ends way before the middle of the season. I think they should take a, a page out of our book, like with our Kozar Cup, and name it after like a fallen hero, man. The Kobe Cup. How about that? The Kobe hey, Cup. that's yeah. a really good idea. Kobe Jeez, that's way better than one. mine. Go with that yeah, one, I, Chuck. I, yeah. Well, I had the benefit of thinking as you uh, as you talked. <laughs> so uh, forget, it's not in the midseason anyway, so go with that. It seems like, uh, again here, like what you're saying, Phil, th- th- there's nothing special about these these games. Like, they're going to be on a Tuesday or a Thursday, and two of them are at home and two of them are away. So I understand the logistics of trying to make them seem special in the middle of an NBA season, but it's but it's impossible. But there are four different options that I've cooked up in my dumb brain that might make this a little bit better. Uh, you tell me, but there's going to be some questions inside of here. First option, shirts versus skins. <laughs> Anyone like that? It's a Burke seven. It's a Burke yeah. seven. <laughs> That's fantastic. I don't think Jokic would want it. I don't think Jokic right. would be uh, yeah. into that, but everybody else is probably in pretty good shape. J.R. Smith would have loved. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. He lives <laughs> yeah. his life skins. Yeah. <laughs> Option two, your entire second unit is made up of retired players from your franchise. Name me who would be on uh, your Cavs second unit. Fucking a Chuck. This is hard because yeah, because they're playing at their age right now, not in their. I know, prime. I know. <laughs> so it can't be. It can't be like Price and Doherty and Nance in that team because those guys are all in their sixties now. Yeah, it's got to be so like Ricky Davis and yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's it's Ricky Z, Davis. Z, it's did anybody retire last year? Kevin Love. <laughs> Kevin Love should be on the team. Yeah, Ricky Rubio. Right. Rubio can oh, be on yeah, the squad. Well, that doesn't count. So I like where that's going. Option three, uh, a roster spot is reserved for the most famous person from your city alive or dead. And they must play at least three minutes. Who is <laughs> Cleveland's most famous person on this squad? I love that. It could be dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guy's dead. Cross him off. Three minutes. Get out there. I hate to say it, but I think right now it's probably Travis Kelsey. And I think that would work out really well. That for would be bad. It'd be yeah. great to minutes. have him in there for three minutes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I like that. Him or Machine Gun Kelly, I guess, right? Machine Gun Kelly. Either guy. Either guy. Uh, Option four is the only one that's somewhat serious here. So there's prize money attached to this. Winning team gets half a million a player, second place, 200K. The semifinal teams uh, get 100 grand per player. Quarterfinal teams get 50K a player. Uh, All that, if you would take that money, because these guys don't need that money, unless unless you're like the 11th guy in the roster, you don't need that money. What if you rolled that money into your salary cap for next year? Mm. Oh, to me, that seems like these guys play a little harder. But when you think about it, if it's half a million and there's 11, however many guys, it's that's not really a good NBA contract. Like when you add all that money up, but it could be the difference if you get one more due to get you over the hump. Like if the if you're maxed out and, and you got mm-hmm. 12 more million to bring a guy in for next year. I like the dead or alive guy playing the best, but this one makes <laughs> maybe the most sense for the NBA cup. So uh, out of those four options, which, which do you like the best Phil? I like the money rolling over that, that could be, that could help a franchise like the Cavs keep a guy like Donovan Mitchell or, or extend a guy like Mobley or what have you, I guess. I'm really concerned about this whole process though. I'm not going to lie. I am concerned that the low hanging fruit wasn't an automatic bid to the postseason because that means something, right? Right. Yeah. And it'd be hilarious to see like a team win the, first third of the season tourney that ends up with like 60 losses and gets into the postseason. I don't like the retired player one at all. I think that's a horrible <laughs> idea, be bad. but I do like the idea of the dead turning guy. the incentives <laughs> into something, um, right. something more that's going to impact next season. Uh, and I don't know if maybe you're not doing it like a dollar for dollar spot. Maybe you're getting some sort of, extra exemption for signing somebody on the roster or something like that, extending somebody on the roster or something like that. I I really like that idea. I guess the question is, is do these guys play harder for a chance for the team to improve next year? 
like, and maybe they're the guys who are getting cut or something like that, you know, yeah. bringing, you know, so I don't know, but I like where your head's at is fine. Trying to find a bigger incentive. Cause that's the thing. Um, most of these guys, you know, 200 grand doesn't mean a thing to them. Right. Uh, and it makes it hard to makes it hard to get them out there to do what they want, which is play like these games in November and December matter. So that's kind of my breakdown of, of the mid season tourney. Man, that uh, was perfect. I'll tell you what, I feel a lot more informed um, and a lot more ready to tune into those games. Well, great. Thank you. I, I have, uh, I have questions now. This seems to me like it's a tournament that the players don't even know that they're a part of. Right? Like they, it's just not, these are regular. They're just playing these games anyway. The so, only difference is that championship game in Vegas. That's it. Everything else so does, already does exists on add, their schedule. So those two teams, does that add an 83 game? It, I think it, I think it does. does add a game to I don't think it counts uh, for their record. Yeah. It's just that going it's up just Cavs, that game. 58 wins, 58 wins. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to end our preseason preview for the Cavs. Go Cavs. Looking forward to the season. Chuck, thanks for jumping in, learning all about the uh, December finals or the the Kobe Cup, whatever the NBA decides to go with. But let's take our final break, come back, and do a little rocking. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We go off the field and we do some rocking. Welcome to another From the Land, All Ears. I know we were all a bit surprised to be this excited for the release of a Rolling Stones album, but here we are. Let's start with a Rolling Stones stat line. The Stones are basically the Frank Gore of rock bands. <laughs> Their first album was released in April 1964. My dad was 18. Since then, they have sold more than 250 million records. 37 of those went into the top 10. Nine were number ones. The Rolling Stones have received 12 Grammy nominations. They've won three times. They won for Best Music Video in 1995. My dad was 49. Billboard ranks them as the second greatest band of all time, only behind the Beatles. Their latest album was released Friday, Hackney Diamonds, and this is their 31st studio album. <laughs> 31st. Oh, man. And that doesn't count like greatest hits, compilations, anything like right. this. is just 31 yeah. straight like studio albums. So the word hackney means lacking in freshness or originality. It can be used in a sentence like Kevin Stefanski sounds pretty fucking hackney during his press conferences <laughs> or doing an all ears segment every three weeks is pretty hackneyed and frankly, just lazy. <laughs> so why do you think the stones chose hackney diamonds as the title of their album? Given that context, I'm not sure. I read something where the two words combined is what they call, you know, how they are over the, in London, they don't, they speak English, but not like our English, right? Hackney diamonds is shattered glass from a, like a robbery. That's what they call it. Because why oh. would you call it anything else? Oh. Hackney right, diamonds, cool. Shattered glass from a robbery. So I don't know. I don't know if they're stealing from us with their 31st studio album. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but that uh, I'm not sure why they would use the the term hackney given your definition. I'm just going to go with Phil here and say the only thing they've stolen is my heart with this album. So that's why. <laughs> See, I'm assuming that they are the Hackney Diamonds. Like they're old. They're not like fresh like they used to be when they're young. But a diamond is still like an awesome thing. It's still a rare and like valuable and special thing. So they're still awesome, even though they're they're Hackney because, you know, they're in their 80s. That was my interpretation. I like Phil's better. Anyway. Yeah. Based on the singles we heard before the release of the album, and that was the pre-release of Angry and Sweet Sounds of Heaven, did the album live up to your expectations? Much like the singles, it far surpassed my wow. expectations. Far surpassed them. It absolutely surpassed my expectations. I, I was a little nervous because I really liked Angry and Sweet Sounds of Heaven. And I'm thinking, oh, did we just get the two best songs on this album? Which, you know, all right that happens a lot with a lot of artists, right? Like that's why they release them. <laughs> There's a lot of meetings that occur. Like what, what tracks do we release? <laughs> um, but I was surprised. Like, I, again, those are two great songs, but there were at least another four tracks on that album that I thought, all right, these are good songs too. I like them. They could have released any of these things. I would say it definitely lived up to my expectations, 
but and we'll we'll go through this when you get into this some more in a little bit but uh, i still think angry and sweet sounds of heaven are the two best songs without a doubt on the album there's a lot of good songs a lot of interesting sounding songs on this album but those are still the two best ones but i was really excited for this when it came out on friday and had a really good time listening all weekend uh, and so yeah it lived up to my expectations too let's talk about some of the lyrical content what was the worst rhyming on the album this is from uh the song bite my head off yeah well i'm hearing the bark and i'm feeling the bite yeah i'm seeing the shark so we're mixing animals and we're rhyming bark <laughs> and shark next one is whole wide world you're never getting out they want to break your balls in those slimy walls and the guards are lardy louts which of those was the worst rhyming on the album we got to give these guys a break, man. They're in their eighties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of verbal gymnastics going on here that no one in their eighties should be able to perform. But uh, of those two, the worst rhyme, um, I'm going to go with the whole wide world one, that whole song. I was like, this is, there's a lot of nonsense in these lyrics. Like it's just nonsensical type stuff. Uh, so I'll go with that one. I think. Yeah. The, the breaking balls and slimy walls, because yeah. I just assume like whatever's coming out of my balls is sliming the walls and I didn't like ah. the visual. <laughs> Painful, man. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm on whole wide world too, but mostly because they rhyme out with lardy louts. And like what the heck is a lardy lout? And, and like again, it kind of goes back to what Phil was just saying. It's like they're speaking English, but it's not really English. Like this is like calling an apartment a flat or you know, calling gas Petro or whatever the heck they do over there. Like, what the heck is a lardy lout? And it's really possible they're just making up words, knowing that Americans won't be able to figure it out. Sticking with the lyrics, let's talk lyrical depth. Scale of one to five. One being Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. Five being Darkness on the Edge of Town. Where does this album rate for lyrical depth? And do you care? All right, on the, I'll go to the scale first. Lyrical depth, I'm going to put it on the low end. So I'll give it a two and a half. I'll sit in the middle, I guess. Uh, it, but And to answer your question, though, I, I don't care. I don't care. This it, I wasn't tuning into a Rolling Stones rock album, explore the depth of conscience or lack thereof or whatever it is, right? So I don't care that there isn't lyrical depth. That said, there's a, there's a tone to this album for sure, and I'm sure we'll get to it. And if we don't, I will later. <laughs> I'll give it like a one and a half or two as far as lyrical depth, but at the end of the day, I could care less about the lyrical depth. I don't know if they're if you go through their catalog, like there are some songs like that, and some of them I truly love. But for what I expected from eighty year olds, it didn't matter if there was lyrical depth. So uh, two. Okay, so we're all in basically the same place. Like this is a great pop rock album. It's a lot of fun. I don't need it to be moving and you know deep the way that like darkness on the edge of town is so i'm at like a two uh it's fine it's a lot of fun uh shake it off is a lot of fun too that's a great that's a great taylor song so uh we're all in the same place so going off of what phil was saying overall kind of your ten thousand foot view of this album and you know what it sounds like and what it feels like when you listen to it what was your take on this one it's surreal to me that They've been making albums for 60 years. And to me, there's there's a lot of quality on this album. It is so fun to listen to. And I'm, I was trying to like find this comparison. To me, it's Top Gun Maverick in audio form. Like, did we yeah. need it in our life? <laughs> Absolutely not. But did I love it? I did. It's kind of like a reboot of the, the Rolling Stones. It, it feels like a greatest hits of all new songs because they sound like some of my favorite Stone songs that I've always loved. And it made me feel good. It, it took a bunch of 80-year-olds here to prove that rock and roll still goes great with sex and drugs. Like, it, it feels like that element, and we've talked about this, I have, like, rock is missing this element where it can be fun and catchy and have a groove to it. So overall, like, it just, it made me feel good, and it was a ton of fun. So my overall take, this is a... I love this album. I had a lot of fun listening to it. I really did. I enjoyed it every listen and I listened a lot. Uh, it's a good Rolling Stones energy. It was a rock and roll energy. Every track, there's that rock and roll energy, Stones energy that you you, you want to hear on, on, on this album. That said, the, the kind of the overall theme though was, man, there's a lot of 
just relationships gone wrong on track after track after yeah. track. That's what it's about. And I get it. These guys have lived 80 years. So, all right, do the math on that. There's, there's a chance for a, a shit ton of relationships to have gone sideways. They talk a lot about like people in your lives, lifting you up or holding you down. And, and I, I wonder, I worry about Mick Jagger in his eighties. He really, he really blamed everyone, but himself on like every track. <laughs> <of> his album. <laughs> but again, like while he's singing about that, while he wasn't the person at fault with all these failed relationships, the energy was fantastic. I loved it. The sound of every song and, and they didn't stray too far from, from their wheelhouse. Right. Except for maybe one or two tracks, but the sound was energetic. I really enjoyed it. It's a summation of 80 years of living on this planet and everything that the rock and roll icons get to experience in that time. There was an aspect to the songs, especially the ones about like heartbreak and romance and sex you're like, oh, God, you step back for a minute. You're like, it's like my grandpa singing about this. This is weird. I don't know. If, I don't know if I need this in my life right now. But, you know, then again, it's the Rolling Stones and they're probably still out there getting it done no matter how old they are. But I agree with you, Chuck, at least for the way the album sounded. I heard songs that sounded a lot like some of the stuff they had done in the past. There are slow songs that sound like Wild Horses. There is Mick Jagger's whine on so many of these songs that you hear throughout their entire catalog that I don't know. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else could whine and make it sound good the way Mick Jagger does it. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. I love the energy. I love like the guitar throughout. I mean, almost every song had great guitar. I love the, the few tracks that really get down into like the blues and they have like that really good blues sound to them, which is, I think, has always been the basis for the Rolling Stones. I've always been like a harder rocking blues band. I, I really like that that came out in so many of the songs on here too. I thought that was really good. The album has a lot of collaborations. Elton John is on here. Lady Gaga's on here. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Paul McCartney was the name Paul I was Carter. looking for. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. The, that the guy. only one older. The only one older than Mick Jagger. Yeah. <laughs> but. With the one exception of the major role that Lady Gaga plays on Sweet Sounds of Heaven, everybody else is kind of under the radar to the point where I'm not even sure you would know they're on the song if it wasn't listed in like the song title or like the liner notes or something like that. So what do you think about the way the Rolling Stones went about using those collaborations and adding those people to what is a really, as we already said, really Rolling Stone sounding album? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I felt like now some of those collaborative tracks were some of my favorites and the sound was great, but it could have been anybody. You, you know, you, you got Paul McCartney on the on the bass guitar. Oh, OK. It was awesome. Uh, in in uh, what was that? Uh, Bite My Head, Head Off. Head off. It, yeah, Bite My Head mm -hmm. Off. That was a great song. But it could have been anyone playing that guitar. You had you had Stevie Wonder and Elton John just playing the piano on three of the tracks. Uh, Elton on two of them, I think. And then Gaga, you heard because of her vocal talent, right? Like she was prominent on on the on the um, sweet sounds of heaven. So it was an interesting use of those amazing artists. And I don't know, maybe it's Mick Jagger saying, you know what? I'm going to invite my friends over to the house. We're all between the age of 75 and 81, and we're going to sit down and just play some music. And that's so we're doing this at two in the afternoon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Early dinner, and then we're out of right. here. Yeah. We had a three o'clock nap. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting. It was interesting use of star talent, but I, I kind of dug it. Yeah. I think the, the features work really well. And like Phil's saying, the only one who, who you really know is, is Lady Gaga. And if they're, they're doing a song from that sounding era, then they needed a powerhouse female vocalist and they got one there. The McCartney stuff, like the bass on that song is phenomenal. And I'm like, Awesome. That's why I think a lot of this is, I think a lot of this album is AI. I don't think these guys really exist anymore. <laughs> I think like it's like Chat GPT made Chat this album. Um, and the Elton John stuff. But, but when you think about it, you go, hey, this is our, this is it. This is their last album of new material, right? This this is it. And who is on our level that we can put on here that people go, oh, hey, but really they won't take away from our swan song. And these are the guys, like who is on their level? Paul McCartney, Elton John, I guess Lady Gaga, right? Like she is, like who, who you can put on it? Justin Bieber? Like that's not that's yeah. not happy. Even though the guy who produced this album produced Bieber album uh, as well, but I think they worked really well. Did they add something to it? Maybe Gaga's the most just because you hear her voice. But overall, it's just it's a nice closure for all these like super duper stars who are saying. 
this is kind of it for us. Like Elton John retired. McCartney probably will do some more stuff, but you know, he's kind of slowing down. And, and the Stones, this is at least their last album. They're probably toured till they're a hundred for whoever's alive. I, I liked it. I, I think Gaga's amazing on Sweet Sounds of Heaven. But that song is so good and she sounds amazing on it. I like the fact that they get these guys in there. They get what they can add to the song without it overtaking what the Rolling Stones were doing. You know, like some a lot of the times these collaborations, it almost becomes kind of like a cheesy thing. There, there are times where I think you can tell it's a collaboration, but they're never in the same room working on the song. They're, they just sing their parts wherever they are in the world and somebody loops it together and makes it into a song. And I think that kind of takes away from it. It's, it's not as impressive or as an important a thing. I, I like the way they did this because I don't think that happened. You know, like all these guys were on there, but you it never changed the sound. It never took away from the main focus of the album, I think. Maybe I'm a little bit biased with this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Best song on the album that's not angry or sweet sounds of heaven. There's a lot of options here, but for me personally, and I can see a lot of people like, no, that's not it. For me, it's mess it up. Uh, there's stuff I love about the Rolling Stones, their entire catalog. But for me, that sweet spot is miss you beast of burden that have that little funky groove and almost a little disco-y and Charlie Watts RIP is actually playing the drums on that song. Uh, and he's a really underrated drummer. Like you think it's simplistic and it is, but uh, that song is a groove and I never stop moving when I listen to it. I love the way it opens up with the muted intro. And then it just really kind of kicks in sonically. It's poppy rock. And it's real. like, it's the most fun song for me on the album. Like that's one that'll go in a playlist for me and I'll, and I'll move and dance around to it. If my knees can still handle it. Uh, but, but it's <laughs> it, like, it's, it's a really fun song. It doesn't need to be deep all the time. And there are better songs, I'm sure sonically to other people's ears, but this one to me just kind of piqued my interest at midnight on Friday when this album was released, it was in my like for you playlist on Spotify and I was just rolling through it and my ears immediately perked up. Like, what the fuck is this? And then I listened to it over and over and over and I'm not sick of it yet. So that's my favorite song on this album. I like that choice. It also popped up in my, uh, you know, new music. Yeah. Listen to this. You'll like it kind of thing. And I did the well, same thing. Apple so, is listening, man. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Everybody's so, um, listening. I earmarked four tracks that were not angry or sweet sounds of heaven. Cause I love both of those tracks. Those are good. Uh, you're right, Gers. But I, I earmarked four. And I'm going to, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to Danko this segment and talk about all four of them. That's ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I like mess it up. That was one that I did star depending on you has one of my favorite lyrics in it because, because Jagger says I'm too young for dying. And I thought that level of optimism was like a Burke seven. <laughs> that is a Burke seven to end all Burke seven. You like, are exactly what? the right age for dying. Yeah. Mick. Yeah. Yeah. Like who wrote this? Um, <laughs> You're like I, three years late, <laughs> but I really, I really kept coming back to, bite my head off for the way it sounded like the guitar in that song was awesome. And I just yeah. kept going back to that. So I'm probably leaning that way. And I really like the, the switch at the end of, with the Rolling Stone blues. I think that was the other song that I, I kind of earmarked, but if I had to pick one, I think bite my head off was my favorite track. That wasn't angry or sweet sounds of heaven. Uh, mine was the second song on the albums. Get close. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And that was like, just like what you guys are saying, that's the one that it sounds the most like a Rolling Stone song when I envision a Rolling Stone song in my head. Loved the guitar. Loved the guitar on that song. Um, the other one that I really liked that was close was Dreamy Skies. It was like kind of like mm -hmm. quiet, slow. Oh, man, that was a good song. I, I like that one a lot. All right. Bourbon scale, one to five. Where are you putting Hackney Diamonds? I, I don't have a running score of the albums we've reviewed to this point. And I know I've put some at five out of five. And so I, I I'm not going to put this one at five out of five. I, I'm not because I don't think it stands up to like the Foo Fighters last album in terms of just a, a really good album, but I really enjoyed it. I'm not rating how much fun I had. Uh, Cause I had a lot of fun with Taylor Swift's midnights and I don't think I gave that a five, <laughs> five either. Um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to put it at like a three and a half eking towards a four out of five on the bourbon scale, because I enjoyed it. I listened to it a ton and I'll, I'll keep listening to songs going forward. Like sometimes just stuff just comes out of nowhere and you don't have much expectation for it and you get a little taste of it. And you're like, oh, that's really good. Like I, like angry is really good. I don't expect angry to hold up in 2023 from 80 year olds. And then you get the song with Gaga. You go, okay, there's a little deeper here. It's it's a solid four for me because it's fun. 
sometimes music can just be fun. There doesn't have to be a deeper message or the meaning for life or about love, loss, and death. It doesn't have to be that. Sometimes it takes guys who've been doing it for an awful long time just to like dust it off and go, guess what? We gave you a blueprint in 1960 on how rock can be fun. And in 2023, it still works. So I'm going to say it's a four. Well, I'm not really sure I have anything I can add to either of those two things. I'm a four as well. I think it's a really fun album. I think when I put it high on the bourbon scale, it's because it's an album that I know I'm going to keep listening to. And this one was great because it was perfect to have on in the background when I was working. It was great to put on when I went for a run. If you can use it in those two instances or those two environments man it's a good album man it's it's kind of hit all the notes for me that that i would want to have it's a you're exactly right chuck it's a lot of fun it's just a lot of fun and there's nothing wrong with having a good time but unfortunately fellas we are out of time i am out of questions for now and we just did the whole show without mentioning that ozzy osbourne recently admitted that he would pee his <laughs> pants during shows with that news that Ozzy would probably fit in just fine on this show, I hope you guys have a great week. Let's get together and do this again real soon. I do have to pee. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Which one do you say is your favorite group? Get Close? Get Close. That's a really good song. I thought yours might have been dependent. Yeah, yeah, whatever one had the horns, I'm like, Gerb's going to love this. So like, yeah, 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 everyone yeah, had the yeah, horn yeah, in yeah, it. Like, yeah. It's going to be Gerb's Was jam. that Tell Me Straight? No, I thought it was. It's earlier in the album. It's either, Get Close has saxophone it prominent. Must be Get Close. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that yeah. sounded yeah. a bit like, yeah. There's a lot of, I like the harmonica in uh, Rolling Stone Blues. Like, that was good. Well, I guess yep. like that's like their closing. I guess they did that very early in their career, that same thing. So I guess that's kind of like putting the bow on the career. Oh, okay. Um, but, well, that's something. You think this is it for them? I think for Even though material. they've, they've yeah. produced like a really good, fun album. Yeah. Like, you hate to, aren't, aren't they leaving something on the table if they don't do something after this even at 80 here's what's 80 gonna is the new 60 it's, it's it's all about money here they, <laughs> no. they they just released a 12 track 48 minute album there's another 10 tracks that they didn't that didn't make this album this that it, it'll, it'll be this has else, to be right <laughs> they'll, they'll do... just damn they that, who expected an album this good from no. the rolling stone no, you're that no, old. You're no, this old. no, this stage of your career, you're just like a greatest me. hits band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really? Like, yeah. yeah, I know you you mentioned it too. Like the guitar work is phenomenal. Yeah. It's yeah. so accessible. Top to bottom, to so just, good. Yeah. yeah, which is which is like every song I listen. To, what the fuck is going on? Where am I at in my life that this is this is really yeah. good? Unexpected. <laughs> That's nuts. I love that they're, they're like talking. They're talking to Tyreek Hill before this game about whether he would want to do it, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll take my current quarterback, my last quarterback, this receiver." So it's like, okay, well, I have Tua and Mahomes will be the quarterbacks. Like Tyreek Hill and you know somebody else awesome will be the wide receivers. <laughs> like, okay, did they? It's crazy that it's going to be part of the Olympics. Did they say? Like what structure of flag football? Is it seven on seven, six on I think six? it's gotta be seven on seven. Yeah. So there's like actual line and blocking kind of yeah. 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 Every we one every four downs, you have to throw it to a woman. Are they gonna do that too? Like that that's that's <laughs> I don't think it's co ed. Oh, damn it. It should be. Did we be coming out of retirement as that's what former... we were just saying? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, I missed it. No, no. Yeah, it's exactly like the Dan Marino retirement <laughs> commercial with uh what the fuck is the name of the running back from the cowboys Barry sanders and emmett smith yeah emmett or smith, smith yeah, jerry rice yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we won't be kidding. quite that bad but we still would be pretty bad oh. i don't think you need readers to read the plays on your wrist Enko, but <clears throat> no you... but yeah <laughs> it would be it would be bad I, that's an interesting sport to like what, what is, do you think, do you think the U S Olympic committee came up with that? Because what other country is going to put yeah, together a stud exactly. flag football team? Yeah. You know, 
We're adding cornhole, yeah, flag right. football, <laughs> and like quarters to beer, <laughs> beer pong. Speed quarters and beer yeah, pong. Beer exactly pong, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Asshole. We're going to put asshole <laughs> in the Olympics. Euchre would be Euchre, a great exactly. Olympic yeah. sport. Yeah. I like bets where it doesn't matter who wins. Yeah. I've decided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought about that some today too. And uh, I just believe too much in the Browns. Cause I've been betting. A, I've been betting a lot of my, my money in the, from bet stamp on uh baseball and I suck at it. I suck I at betting know. on baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball's so yeah. hard. It's like, like, yeah, this guy's going to get one hit, right? No, it's baseball. He went over <laughs> four. It doesn't matter who, you know, yeah. it just, that yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think basketball is easier. I think I'm you can do like, week, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this week. Are we going to put yeah. Gerbucks on every Cavs game? Every one of them. <laughs> better replenish those <laughs> Gerbucks. <laughs> every one of them. Well, it's a different, it's a different pool for the, for the NBA. Yeah. It's, Five it's not billion your... Gerbucks. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> I got to tell you guys, this jacket's a lot hotter this week. I don't know why. I'm <laughs> I have not changed the thermostat in here and I am sweating. Oh, is that who's that going off? Is that Waddle? Oh, you're ahead of me. Oh, going God off the going it. off the field. I I'm never gonna that. win another fantasy game, man. <laughs> when do I get to play Chuck again? This is Please. terrible. I, I should I haven't even I should look. I think you're getting fan. smoked. I'm sure. I've done nothing. Enter um login required. I probably won't get back in now. I don't know what my login is. <laughs> this is it. Close the franchise. <laughs> We're done. It's a good time. <laughs> Ride out the bye weeks. Who knows? <laughs> okay. No. My face is my login. It's still saying it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> it's You're the end of my run, boys. That's it. It's over. <laughs> Yep. It's, it's special occasions out, been pulled out two weeks that it should have never been pulled it's out. true <laughs> right boy somehow the san francisco win seems more legitimate than the one today yeah. yes that's pretty fucking crazy far more <laughs> i mean when you take a step back and look it's 39 to 38 how, how did either yeah. of these teams score that many points like yeah. what yeah yeah that's awesome. insane yeah Go all right guys. all right boys yeah all right guys Go Rolling Stones. Go Stones. Go you guys. Yeah, go you guys. Love you, boys. All right, love love you guys. guys. Later, guys. What do you mean I'm funny? Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?